Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode 16 of the Movement Logic podcast. I'm Laurel Beversdorf, and I'm here with a very special guest, Rosalind Mays, also known as Roz the Diva. Roz is a New York City based pole instructor and fitness trainer. Her niche is working with people new to exercise and training, what she terms non traditional athletes, which include plus size individuals and people with disabilities. Roz is someone I've been really excited to interview for a long time. I consider Roz to be my very first celebrity interview. She has a very inspiring story that includes plot twists like her audition for America's Got Talent and a nasty run-in with Howard Stern, losing multiple jobs because of photos and videos of her pole dancing performances online, and her experience making a name for herself in pole dancing and personal training as she writes on her site as a dark-skinned, semi-bald, overweight, outspoken woman who runs around NYC half naked. Roz has been featured in the New York Times in a stunning documentary called Dangerous Curves. We'll link that in the show notes. And she launched the world's first plus size pole competition. Welcome to the podcast, Roz. You know, I know I wrote half that bio, but <laughs> your delivery though, Laura, like I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Rod. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's me. Yeah, your website is on point. Oh, thank you so much. Your website is on point. Like if you want to know who Roz is, go to her website. That is a very well done website. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. My uh, Jacqueline is my brand website guru slash business therapist slash, oh my gosh, I love you, Jacqueline. Thank you. (laughs) Right on. Maybe we'll link Jacqueline in the show notes as well. (laughs) Sure. Cool. Well, Roz, you are uh, a fellow multidisciplinary movement teacher and practitioner, so I'm really super excited to talk to you today. You teach a variety of movement and exercise modalities ranging from strength training to pole dancing. And I'd love to hear how you got started with both. Yep. So um, I started pole dancing. I'm almost at 15 years now, which is ancient in in the pole world. It's not the oldest, but (laughs) it's up there. It's up there. And I started doing it because it was a class at the gym that I was going to. Mm-hmm. And it had the word dance in the title. I love to dance. I have a Beyonce complex. So I figured, <laughs> eh, sure, let's give this a try Friday night. I don't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was the hardest thing I'd ever done with my body. And especially as somebody who was, you know, one of the bigger ones in class. And I was struggle bussing hardcore. <laughs> Because when you start pole dancing, everybody is super trash. Mm. And what's so that I, mean? What do you mean, super trash? It means that you are terrible at pole dancing <laughs> when you start. <laughs> You're making it sound so tempting to try I know, it. Out. I, I, I feel, I feel like personally job. like challenged in the best way. 
<laughs> yeah, so everybody is looks crazy when you start, um, and it is hard. But what I tell you, it is the best time failing I have mm. ever had at the gym. Just hands down, I can't think of a more fun way to be a disaster and to be super trash. And when you have a good playlist and you've got good peeps around you, it doesn't matter what you look like. So yes. that's how I got started polling. And I was love at first sight. So I have been polling consistently, mo mostly consistently, um, like I said, for almost 15 years now. And I started strength training um, I guess maybe like five years ago or so, okay. um, five or six years ago. And that actually came out of my love of personal training. Okay. So the timeline was started pole dancing. And then I started teaching pole um, in, I started pole dancing in 20, 2007. And then I started teaching pole in 2011. Okay. And then, um, I started teaching other modalities like conditioning classes around 2013, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, no, no, no. I think it was 2015, 2015. Okay. So. And what was so crazy about it is pole dancing is really specific in form. Mm -hmm. And I was really fortunate to have very good instructors. So for like the importance of form is just always there. Like mm -hmm. you do not sacrifice form for anything. Mm. And so what I discovered when I started um, lifting, lifting weights is it is the same principles. Mm. You do not sacrifice your form in lifting heavy weights mm. um, unless you want to destroy your back. Right. And, and your knees as well. So mm. um, I really liked that there were, you know, like, I want to know what muscles I'm using. I want to know what order to use my muscles in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like the, the detailed aspect of that. Yeah. And so once I started lifting, it was like, oh, this, this is feels like a natural progression mm. From pole. Um, I also liked pole because I, excuse me, I also liked lifting because in a lot of ways it seemed like the opposite of pole. Oh, um, interesting. Because, yeah, because it was more like traditional gym stuff. It was, uh -huh. you know, um, I'm a raging feminist, but there's uh -huh. only so much estrogen one person can take. <laughs> and I hear so you. it's a nice way to break up like the female, do the female dominance of pole, which I love. Uh -huh. But uh -huh. now we've got not, I mean, it is male dominated, but like, ugh, screw the dudes. But, I think it's changing. You mean strength training? Yeah, strength training. Exactly. Yeah. Strength training is, is changing. And I think the last really important piece that got me into strength training was that uh, for the first time in my life, I saw female athletes who were my size. Right on. And I, for your listeners out there, um, I'm about five, five. And right now I'm 270 mm -hmm. and I'm 37 years old. And I have been, um, I, I was an overweight teenager mm -hmm. and once puberty hit, that's when my weight really packed on. And so I had never, I participated in sports for almost my whole life, but I'd never seen female athletes that looked like me. The only athletes I saw were really small. And so when I started lifting and then I started discovering lifting on Instagram, uh -huh. 
oh my gosh, it was like a treasure trove. Yeah. It's like, where have these women been my whole damn life? Yeah, I think Instagram's good for that, kind of yes, exposing you. Yeah, to what else is out there. Um, that is, I have a couple of follow-up questions just based on a couple of things that you mentioned. So you mentioned that pole dancing is very technique focused, but strength training is also very technique focused. And I see there being definitely, uh, you know, an efficiency kind of component to that as well as, you know, a safety component to that. But what strikes me as being very different about pole dancing, also very intriguing. And, and in some ways, kind of similar to how I started off, which was teaching yoga, mm -hmm. is there's this aesthetic, artistic component to pole, which brings in the skill training, but through like a very different uh, lens than strength training. Whereas I don't see strength training as performative in terms of art. I see it performative in terms of maybe competition, but mm -hmm. pole dancing is a dance. It is an art form. It is particularly sexy. And so can you speak at all to the benefit of that aspect of pole dancing, bringing in the artistry of pole dancing and, and what that was like for you when you first started practicing pole and then what it's like for your pole students, like this idea that we're, we're working out, we're definitely building capacities, including I would say probably plenty of strength, plenty of flexibility, tons of core strength, right? But then there's this aesthetic component of a dance and and can you speak at all to that absolutely so one thing that's so dope about pole dancing is that on the days when i want to be a video vixen and a sex pot i can do that if there are <laughs> days where i want to be an 80s robot i can do that if i want to be a ballerina one day if i want to be sad emo girl crying on the floor next to the pole i can do that so there's so many ways to be a pole dancer mm -hmm. which you know i think is so great um now for me one of the biggest ironies of my life as somebody who has got a whole lot of body image issues, which I do, you would not expect a sport that you purposely stay mostly naked in <laughs> to be something that I would want to participate in, hmm. especially if I wasn't particularly excited and, you know, I have a lot of guilt and shame around my size of right. my body. Like, why would somebody do something? And also, why would they choose a sport that in ways, you know, is overtly sexual sometimes, sometimes. Right. Um, but what I found is the sexuality piece mm. is a big difference when you're being objectified mm. versus when you are choosing to put yourself in a particular situation and when other people are cheering you on when you make a choice for yourself. Right on. Right and, on. you know, this is what I wish more people understood about my sport mm. of pole dancing is because they there's an assumption that we're doing this for other people's delight and uh -huh. that we're doing this because we've got daddy issues or we're doing this because we're over sexualized and this is you know this is the unfortunate result of american pop culture going off the rails mm. but nothing could be farther than the truth yeah this is pole dancing is about choices mm -hmm. and i have been naked in public and on stage uh many times probably far more than what my parents would like me to be <laughs> <laughs> i hope 
may have not seen those videos, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but each time I did it, it was a choice that I made. I was in an environment where I was lucky to have that choice mm. and I was in control of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to show. Right on. And that actually has been a huge catalyst in helping me start to heal mm. the broken relationship that I have with my body. And is it nerve wracking? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And are there other ways that I maybe could have started the healing process? I mean, probably, but the ways aren't as awesome. <laughs> and I think a lot of my students will have a similar, have similar stories in regards to the sexuality piece that's tied to pole dancing is that they get to do, they get to explore a part of themselves that they either didn't know existed mm -hmm. or that they didn't know they were allowed to celebrate. Yes. And we do so in an environment that could not be more positive, could not be more welcoming and could not be healthier hmm. for you to explore all facets of yourself. Right on, right on. I've have so many, um, memories from my past as an actor i went to acting school and was mm -hmm. a performer and how the character like you said you can show up to pole dancing in whatever state you're in and embody those emotions and embody that in internal world within yourself as a way to work through it as a way to express yourself as yourself and to perform right and there's just something so cathartic and I would agree healing about that uh, nature of dance, which I feel is an, a small aspect of yoga. It can become a little bit more of an aspect of yoga, but I think that is largely missing from other modalities like strength training, for example, where it's a little bit all business, you know, we're coming to yeah. like really focus on uh getting that that strength uh stimulus and you know we're maybe listening to some great music and we're maybe like chatting with our friends but there isn't this artistic expression that accompanies it and so something that strikes me as being so powerful about a modality like pole dancing is is that extra element of uh human expression that is mm -hmm. that you're invited into and especially powerful that women especially today, unfortunately, uh, are, are able to express with total agency their own sexuality to, uh, to do with their bodies as they, as they like and as they enjoy, and for it to be a positive experience and for it to be, um, as you said, you know, something that is actually uh, quite personally fulfilling and potentially healing as well. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, sure. and I wanted to ask you, uh, because I have never done pole dancing, uh, although I do, uh, I do follow people like yourself on social media who are doing it, it's, it strikes me as being, as a yoga teacher, a fantastic compliment to yoga. And I actually have a few yoga friends who do pole dancing. Um, there is some legitimate strength required for pole dancing. And then there is the um, artistry, the flexibility potentially required for pole dancing. And then there's, and then there's the, the other side of what you're doing, which is actually training people to 
get stronger. You yourself, I, I watch you on Instagram, are, are on the road to a 300-pound deadlift. Is that right? Ooh, yes, I hope so. You are getting very Soon. close to, which is very inspiring. Um, do you see uh, strength training and pole dancing being complementary <laughs> in that way, that one oh, kind of yes. helps the other? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it seems like a match so, made in heaven. It, you know what? It feels really good. And believe it or not, there's actually a lot of pole dancing meatheads like me out there. And um, I think interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're drawn to that strength aspect mm. and, you know, particularly with, with pole dancing, um, there are, there's every gender you can imagine. There's mm. every body size and type you can imagine, but, you know, unfortunately still the people that are heralded are the smaller pole dancers, the more slender pole dancers are those who could do the fanciest tricks. Um, and, but what, and I'm not, I'm not any of those people whatsoever. Oh, you're good. Funny. You are a performer. Thank you. Yes. And that's the part. You make it I look love. really fun. Yeah. That's the part <laughs> that I love so much. And one thing that I realized pole helped me to realize my strength um, in that when I was learn when I would learn some tricks, I noticed it might take my slender friends three or four months, let's huh. say, to get a particular trick. But yeah. for me, it would take me two years to get that same trick. Huh. And I used to think, I used to be so sad about that because I thought, well, this is because you're overweight, you're not strong enough, it's your fault. And it's, but now because I've had almost 15 years to look worth of data to look back on, mm -hmm. I realize it's not that I wasn't as strong as my other friends, but it was, I needed my muscles to have a greater capacity for yeah. work yep. because they had more body weight to move exactly. than my smaller counterparts. And once I realized that, and this is what I get to tell my students, everyone just kind of takes a deep sigh of relief mm. because you realize that we're talking about science and physics and not just guilt and shame and emotion. Right on. And how this relates to strength training, I think is similar is because I realized, well, when I started strength training, that my size could be an advantage. Mm. And I never, ever in a million years thought that my size would be an advantage in any sport unless it was like sumo wrestling. Mm -hmm. And even then, you know, I was thinking about that in a very joking, sarcastic, facetious kind of way. But um, once I figured out how to use my size to my advantage, then it opened up so much with strength training. And, you know, the same with pole, you know, I'm able to progress with strength training a little faster than I'm able to progress with pole dancing, mm. um, you know, which is always nice for the ego, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a nice compliment for, for one another. And I think it's also, it's fun. Like pole makes you brave. Yeah. And this is another thing, you know, we discussed my lack of clothes on stage at times, you know, that's one kind of form of bravery, but then you look at other gym stuff and you're like, you know what? 
I used to be really scared of those weights because I didn't know how to use them. Mm. And they, all I see were the big giant dudes at the gym using them. Mm. But if I can pull, if I can hang off a pole and not die, I could probably figure these weights out too. Mm. And so that's a lot of how my other gym work besides strength training came about is because I tried pole and I was like, all right, I think I can, um, I might be able to do some more, some other stuff, stuff that I thought was boring or stuff that I thought was like, oh God, this is so basic, this is boring, but now I love it. So um, I hope that answered your question. That was probably an answer all over the place. <laughs> no, it, it totally does. And what I'm kind of this theme that I hear kind of coming through with you describing these seemingly opposite, almost dual modalities where one is dominated um, by more of a feminine energy and the other one strength training mm -hmm. more of a masculine energy um, and how their, you know, their, you know, strength training maybe plays more to your sort of natural strengths of, of being just a naturally strong person in a strong body. But then um, pole dancing kind of because it seemed more challenging to you, it gave you bravery to kind of set out and do things that maybe not a lot of people who look like you were doing. And so it, it seems as though the, the capacities you're building in both are, are very different, but also complementary. The cultures that kind of tend to surround both are very different, but also complementary. And you seem to strike me as just being this wonderful bridge as an individual that's able to really help people understand and see those connections between maybe these modalities. I'd love to hear if you work with people who, who have embraced both alongside you, like maybe some of your students, I know you mentioned that there, there are quite a few meatheads in poll, mm -hmm. but, um, but also as somebody who's able to help people make connections within themselves. Like I am a person who can pole dance and I am a person who can strength train. And there's something I think so compelling about your story and who you are and how you show up that is just this amazing, incredible bridge and kind of blowing open these industries that are somewhat exclusive or these, these um, you know, uh, fitness uh, uh, modalities are somewhat exclusive. Like they exclude people. They tend to exclude people who who look like you. And mm -hmm. you're like, wait a second. I don't think so. This is for me. And therefore, because it's for me and I'm going to show you it's for me, it's for you too. Um, you use the, the phrase, I first encountered this phrase when um, stalking you on Instagram <laughs> and then going to your website is non-traditional athlete. And, yes. and I, and I, I love this phrase, non-traditional athlete. I kind of have a hang up with the word athlete myself. I was an athlete and then I kind of got sort of tired of athletics and I, and I'm actually currently kind of tired of how much money is invested in athletics for research purposes and how it's really quite male dominated and most of the money is kind of looking at male athletes and and most of the money in sports is kind of invested in male athletic programs it wasn't yep. in my high school when i played sports and i'm wondering where does this what does the word athlete mean to you obviously non-traditional athlete makes sense in the context of what you've shared with us what does the word athlete mean to you i would love to hear kind of more philosophically where you're coming from when you use that that word athlete Hey guys, it's Sarah. 
Laurel and I really hope you're enjoying the new Movement Logic podcast. We are having a, such a good time. We both really love sharing ideas with each other and getting sparked by things that the other person has learned. Our goal for the show was to help you feel the same way so that you can feel excited and inspired by what you're learning and even maybe take some of these ideas into your teaching. That would be that would be amazing if that's what happened. I'd be so happy because I, oh my God, we both know what it feels like to be uninspired, to be stuck in a rut, desperately trying to come up with new ideas. So you, you take another training and it just ends up, you fall back into your old habits, the things you already know how to do, because it's too hard to change who you are as a teacher. We've all been there. The whole reason why we created the Movement Logic tutorials was so that you can enhance what you're already good at instead of trying to be some other different kind of a teacher. Every Movement Logic tutorial contains so much to help you do that. Hours and hours of anatomy, kinesiology, myth busting. Myth busting is maybe my favorite part of the whole thing. But most importantly, dozens of exercises that help you with strength or flexibility or functional movement, whatever you and your clients want to do in their life. Because we're so grateful that you are listening to our podcast, we have a podcast exclusive discount to say thank you for supporting our efforts with your ears. What you can do is you enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to receive 10% off of your entire purchase. You heard that right. You go to movementlogictutorials.com, take a little scroll through all of our different tutorials, stick some of them in your cart, the ones that you're like, ooh, pelvic floor, ooh, shoulders, and then enter the code podcast at checkout and you'll receive 10% off your entire purchase because we appreciate you. So thank you and go forth and save. So to me, if you have oxygen in your lungs, you're an athlete. All right. There's no, there's nothing else that's required of you. And if you're still not sure, there's a quick little quiz you can give yourself. Are you hungry and tired all the time? Mm. You're an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see, do you hate warming up? You're an athlete. (laughs) I hate warming up. (laughs) Listen, I only do it because I have to do it with my students, but otherwise, mm, you know, and then finally, like, do you spend too much money on leggings and sneakers? (laughs) Yes, you're an athlete. Done deal. You know, I think, I think people complicate that word athlete way too much. They assume that you have to be in the NBA, in the NBA before you say you're a basketball player or that you have to be Serena Williams before you say you're allowed to play tennis. Like, no, if you are, if you like participating in movement, just Mm. movement period, you're an athlete done deal. And there's so many ways to be an athlete. And this I really feel this way because, uh, you know, my parents instilled a crazy sense of inclusivity in Mm. me. You know, my parents, shout out to mom, dad, my sister, Lindsay and Grammy. We were the house where like the friends would come to, you know, if we had big slumber parties, my mom would cook for like the whole neighborhood. (laughs) You know, my dad's out leading the Olympics in our backyard. And, you know, it was was always like no person gets left behind. Mm -hmm. That was the attitude with my family. And so I've carried that over into my career. And, um, and it's important to me that people know that they, that they belong. There's a place. Mm 
Mm. And if there is not an explicit place for you, we're going to make a place for you Mm -hmm. because I know the feeling and particularly the pain that Mm. comes with exclusion Mm. and feeling like you're not good enough. And particularly in sports, feeling like you're too big, feeling like you're a burden and not an asset to your team or to the people around you. And feeling like, okay, I hope my coach pulls me off the field as quickly as possible. So that way I don't mess it up for everybody else. Hmm. And I know the profound loneliness that comes with that. And I'm hell bent on making sure that people who take class with me or work with me in any way that they don't have that feeling. Hmm. And if they do, it damn sure is not going to be because of me. Hmm. And, um, And I think people need to give themselves a lot more credit for the movements that they do. I think if you are a gardener, you are an athlete. Right on. If you are folding laundry, you are an athlete. And I'm not, I'm, I genuinely believe that I'm not just saying that just because it sounds pretty, but there are, there's squatting there's walking, there's lifting, there's hinging. There are fine motor skills that go into all of those things. I think probably the hardest sport in the world is parenthood. (laughs) I don't even have kids. (laughs) I'm glad glad you, I'm glad you recognize it though. Oh my goodness gracious. I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I finished a course about training pregnant athletes and one, um, a focus of the course is postpartum. So after people give birth, um, the activities of daily life yeah. or ADLs as they're called, mm-hmm. it's picking up the baby off the floor, sweeping the floor, washing the bottles, like you, you know, you maintaining a safe and a clean environment for your baby, you physically having to haul a 12 pound turkey around for like the first two years of its life. <laughs> and then Mine's 35 you, now, 35 exactly, pounds, right. <laughs> not 35 years old. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, you also have, you also having to maintain a level, a certain level of um, fitness, of flexibility, and certainly of stamina. Stamina. To keep on little, on, and very little sleep. <laughs> yeah, ex- on like zero sleep. And on top of that, you know, it is a thankless job hmm. that not enough people recognize it is the hardest job in the world to hmm. do. And so when, when I meet parents who are like, oh gosh, I'm just, I, my body is a wreck. I'm hmm. crazy. I feel so bad. I haven't lost this pregnancy weight. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? You are an absolute warrior. Yeah. Uh warrior for what your body has been able to endure and for Uh what you've done for your family. So the more that we start to expand the idea of what is exercise, Mm. what is a sport Mm -hmm. and what activities, when we take down the rankings of what activities are more important than the other ones, Mm -hmm. then you start to see, oh, snap. Everybody is an athlete in their Mm -hmm. own way. Right on. 
Right on. Do you do you tend to come across? I, I teach a lot of yoga teachers, yoga practitioners who had bad, particularly bad experiences in mm-hmm. physical education class when they were younger in school, where mm-hmm. they were picked last, where they just weren't athletic. Co-host of this podcast, Sarah says she doesn't like catching things or running. They don't consider themselves athletes. Do you find that you have to go through kind of a process of convincing someone there's an athlete? You just talk to them as if they already are? Or do you, I mean, do you have any 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 people who come to you who are like, I'm not an athlete. There's no way I'm an athlete. And, and how do you how do you help them see that they're training for the athletics of their life. How do you how do you work with people in that way who who have had a particularly negative experience with uh, exercise, sport in their sure. earlier years? So you basically described my entire my entire client roster, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, particularly with the private clients that I work with. Almost everybody is either in recovery or is um, has recently recovered or wants to start recovering from some sort of fitness and body-based trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking little T trauma right here. Okay. Um, so not just like the terrible one-time awful things that happen, you know, not trauma in that sense, although there's mm-hmm. plenty of it, but it's things, you know, it's little nitpicky microaggressions mm-hmm. that perhaps their family members or their parents growing up constantly reminded them that their bodies were broken mm-hmm. and reminded them that you're different, but in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself, you know, I was picked last every single time in gym and Although I wasn't made fun of for my size or mocked for my weight, um, it didn't matter because I felt, even if it wasn't true at the time, um, I felt enormously huge Mm. compared to my slender white friends. Mm. And it doesn't, and at that point, it doesn't matter what other people had tried to tell me because I had cemented in my head already that because of your size, you're not going to add as much value to athletics Hmm. as other girls. And also you're not going to be attracted to boys, attractive to boys because Hmm. of your size. Hmm. And, um, once I, once that was in my head, I'm still as a 37 year old woman. Now I'm still working through both of those things. Hmm. Um, and so many of my clients have, similar stories to that. You know, they've got, I was very fortunate because my parents are amazing, but other people's parents were less than amazing Mm -hmm. in regards to the lessons that they taught them about their bodies and about movement. And it is just, it's heartbreaking to be quite honest. You know, I had a client once that, and this was, this was a great milestone, but it was bittersweet because they told me like, Hey Roz, guess what? I walked all the way up to my fourth floor apartment without stopping. And I was like, that's awesome because (laughs) yeah. And also shout out to everybody in New York city or another expensive place that nobody can afford that has to walk (laughs) up four or five flights of stairs all the time. And the subway stairs and Jesus. And the elevator breaks in your office building. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So (laughs) So I was like, oh, that's, that's awesome. But that wasn't the huge accomplishment. The accomplishment was, as this client told me, is that when they would get winded 
as a young child, mm. it reminded, or when they would get winded as an adult, it reminded them that their family used fitness as a punishment oh, wow. when they were a young child. Mm. So that feeling of getting out of breath mm. typically had brought up a lot of shame, a mm. lot of pain, wow. and just like really sad, lonely memories. But now as an adult, this person, when hmm. they when they've gotten out of breath or a little bit, um, they can at least make some room for positivity. Yeah, that's associated with athletics because we were doing things that they enjoyed, mm. doing things that they liked doing, and because they had a greater sense of control, it wasn't nearly as ugly mm. as before when they were forced to do something that they didn't like for negative reasons. There's that, that theme of agency again, right? Where yes. now it's their choice that they're doing this. Do you, do you employ certain approaches, strategies to working with folks who are dealing with this little T trauma? In other words, do you, do you find yourself spending more time talking with them about their story, listening? Do you spend time really just focusing on the movement and showing them what they're capable of how do you how do you talk to your clients what what, what would you say you could like maybe give us a little bit of a, a feel for um the approach you take when you're working with somebody maybe brand new who's a little bit uh you know turned off uh for for very good reasons by exercise where do you start sure so i usually start by asking my clients my new clients in your wildest athletic dreams what do you want to do Hmm. And, you know, some people might be like, I want to go skydiving. You'd think it would be like, I want to, you know, jump off a cliff into the ocean or something. But most people's <laughs> wildest athletic dreams is doing a pull up. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was my wildest athletic dream a couple of years ago. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm on team pull up 2023. Nice. So, so um, so there's that. So I ask people what their ideal, what is their, what is their idea of athleticism mm. and what can their body, what can they see themselves doing later on when they kind of get to that level of athleticism that they're not able to achieve now? So mm. that's one of the first questions that I ask. Um, I also, I give clients an option. I'll say like, Hey, let's do this movement. And they know that they have ultimate veto power. Mm. So if they're like, Roz, I hate doing that. I don't want to do it. Mm. Then guess what? We're not doing it. Right. We don't have to. Nobody is going to have to do movements that they genuinely don't like. Right. Um, like me, myself, I'm physically capable of doing jumping jacks, uh -huh. but I absolutely hate nothing more in this world than <laughs> jumping jacks. My <laughs> boots are too big to be flopping around purposely. <laughs> my best sports bras. So right on. I can do it. But that that's what's going to make the gym miserable is if you make me do jumping jacks and also mountain climbers. Those can rot and die. <laughs> so, um, so I give my clients veto power. Um, cool. I also, now, before we just ultimately veto a movement, I do ask why they don't like something. Okay. And more often than not, it's not because they hate a movement 
And that's why they don't like it because they genuinely don't like it. But because when they've done it, it's been so uncomfortable and it's been physically, they haven't been able to figure out how to do it correctly or really nobody showed them how to do it correctly. So when they've, so they've got these negative experiences that they've been doing. And then sometimes I'll say, all right, well, would you like to, if we can make this comfortable for you, do you want to give it a shot? And about ha- more than half the time they say, yeah. And uh-huh. so we'll, we'll tweak some things. We'll change some things here or there. Sometimes it's a big change. Most of the time it's kind of a small change. Mm. And suddenly a movement that they thought they hated huh. is now pretty tolerable. Uh. And it's simply because we've got to make the movements work for the athletes yeah. and not have the athletes chasing a movement. I love that so much. And it seems like those are almost like the, the, the blueberries on the trail so that they can find their way to this greater state of felt, you know, agency, and that they feel like they're moving toward this, uh, in this direction of capable, they, they feel like they're moving in this direction of competency. And there's something so just straight up fulfilling and life changing, identity changing, about finding something that you thought you couldn't do, that you would never do, that you hate to do, and recognizing that it wasn't you that was the problem. It was the way it was introduced. And when a teacher like you comes around and is like, well, wait a second, let's actually, you know what, you know you can try it this way. It is the smallest things, Mm -hmm. the smallest things in the world, the smallest, not a pull-up, something much, much more kind of rudimentary maybe, can become this catalyst for- uh, for increased interest and increased enthusiasm for more. Right. So Mm -hmm. I love the way that you begin with the positive, you begin with the dream, you begin with the, the goal, and then you give veto power. Right. So we're just constantly making this experience positive, making it positive and, and, um, hopefully, uh, rewriting the old programming that was unfortunately installed earlier on that I think so, so many uh, folks, unfortunately, that's been a part of their history. And uh, yeah, I just, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think it's one of the most important things for folks to hear uh, who listen to this podcast is that we have to make it attractive. We have to make it fun. And things are so, so much more important a lot of the times than the nitty gritty nitpicky rules slash you know the the way that the exercise looks the the way that it has to be folks get really caught up i think in these rules that oftentimes come with certain uh you know branded trademark techniques to doing things and you kind of miss the forest for those trees the forest being this actually has to be fun and something some that people want to do um and and i feel like you lead with that that priority so well. Yeah. Um, you Thank make you me want me. to pole dance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I agree. Like, especially when you're working with adults, why on earth 
When an adult with a job, a family, and they're hungry and tired, now you tell them, go to the gym to do stuff you don't like. Yeah. This is an extracurricular. This is supposed to be fun. I pride myself on the different lies that my students have given to their bosses as Mm. to why they need to leave work early. (laughs) (laughs) And so they can come and hang out. But you know, think about that. We always, we try to make stuff fun for little kids and we do that for a reason Yeah, because when it's fun for them, it's fun for everybody. It's a requirement. Exactly. (laughs) It's gotta be a requirement. And why can't we do the same thing with adults? Adults need to have fun. And there's many ways to have fun. There are There are some people who really genuinely enjoy that drill sergeant-esque kind of coach Mm -hmm. and somebody who's going to give that tough love and he's going to be, you know, it's like varsity football tryouts. That's not me. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) You know, and I, and I will tell people, and I've had clients that I've worked with where I'm like, you know, you need somebody who's a little more disciplined. You need somebody who is going to, who's a little, you know, less nonsense than I am. And that's okay. Yeah. That's so okay that you're not going to rock with every sport. Yeah. You're not going to rock with every coach. And that doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that that's not the right thing for you to do. Right. And the more that we can teach people how to give themselves slack and empathy, mm. that's how you're going to have a long-term lifelong athlete and not just someone who takes your six weeks worth of classes and you never see them again. Right on. Yeah. I, I think a lot about the, this ideal of consistency, everything, everyone I think in their mind has this idea of what consistency looks like, which is the same amount on the same days every week. Mm-hmm. And when I look back on my slow build to becoming a personal trainer and, you know, starting to strength train regularly and make that a part of my life, it was not consistent. If you looked at it week by week, it was not consistent. Sometimes if you looked at it month by month, it was not consistent. But if you zoomed out and looked at a whole year and then the next year and the next year, you saw in those macro intervals, the consistency building. And so this stuff takes time. And, you know, one of the things I hear you kind of leading with here is like letting, letting people be imperfect, letting them be who they are, letting them come to it when they're ready and, and, and not putting all of these, um, these barriers, these standards, these ideals on top of what they may already be dealing with in their life. Maybe their parents, maybe they had a bad experience with exercise in their past. And so you create, um, from my perspective, this really welcoming entry point for folks who would otherwise have a hard time finding that welcome and even finding that entry point. So it's uh, just super inspiring uh, to hear you share this perspective. Um, I have uh, two more questions for you. Sure. One is you hear from your students, you hear from maybe fellow teachers as well who who are offering similar offerings to you, like what the general public thinks of pole dancing. What is their idea of pole dancing? 
And what is pole dancing actually? Like, I'd like to do a little compare contrast of like, for the folks listening to this podcast who aren't as familiar with pole dancing, who might have some preconceived notions of pole dancing, what what do folks think it is? Right. And then what actually is it? And then maybe we could do the same thing with strength training. What, from your perspective, what do folks think strength training is? And then what actually is it? Sure. So I think people, you know, the tides are turning and people are a lot more accepting of pole dancing now than, than they were 15 years ago when we were all keeping it a secret on the internet. We're becoming less and pure, pure, puritanical, perhaps. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> goodness. And so I think, I think people assume that a pole dancer is somebody who secretly wants to be a stripper, but right. they don't want to tell anybody right. and they just want to dabble in that world and then they want to get out. Yeah. And um, they have daddy issues. Exactly. And then they've got daddy <laughs> issues. Um, but what pole dancing is, it is vertical gymnastics. Yes. In, in, when you look at it from the most technical point of view, and even if you were to go to a strip club with professional dancers mm-hmm. and for those people who dance, they are gymnasts. Yes. And full stop right there. If you look at what people do, we are still doing bicep curls. We are Mm -hmm. still lifting our body weight off the floor without a harness. We're still holding on to the bars with just our legs and sometimes just one leg at a time. The grip strength and the adductor strength, the inner thigh strength. Yeah, is bananas. Off the charts. (laughs) Absolutely. So... When people start to like debate and question is pole dancing a sport, that's not a question to me. That's not Uh a debate. I wish somebody, nobody who does pole says, you know what? Now this wasn't really an athletics athleticism thing. Like that's just not, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. Uh So pole is vertical gymnastics. It's also, I would say too, because I'm, I'm, I'm into yoga, but yoga can be very kind of sagittal, plain, straight lines, 90 yes. degree angles. So can strength training. Pole dancing is super multi-planar. Oh, yes. Super swirly, circular. Like it's, it just looks so good. It looks hard, but it also looks like it feels good a lot of the time. Like this undulating movements. Yes. It's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, it's just plain fun Mm. it's like you know there there gets to be a point where I could you know I think I could probably go on I know I can go on with all of the like detailed point by point this is why pole dancing is a sport this is why it's cool this is but but at the end of the day I do it because it's rad yeah (laughs) because you'll have a good time doing it. And I've made a lot of friends and I've traveled the world doing pole. So that's, you know, that's that. And then, you know, going back to your other question about what people think strength training is versus what it actually is. Hmm. People think strength training is drinking 900 protein shakes a day and eating raw eggs. So you can lift up a school bus. They think it's bodybuilding, right? Exactly. They think of body, they think of the rock and shout out to The Rock, because who doesn't want to think about him? His fine self. Um, but what strength training actually is, is having a lot of protein because we're hungry. Yeah. Um, and it's also me wearing some cute Converse sneakers while I wait for my other shoes to arrive, my lifting shoes. Oh, you got lifting shoes. Yeah, I, I need to get some actually. Yeah. Um, and strength training is literally, it's, it's just, 
hey, let's just lift heavy stuff and put it down. <laughs> and the satisfaction that ah. you get when you're able to lift these things is amazing. Even mm. if it's a light weight. It is amazing. It just, I mean, if I'm lifting five pounds or if I'm lifting 275 pounds, yep. I still get a feeling like I'm accomplishing something and that, you know, really, truly what they don't want to tell you is strength training is about getting ready for the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Now, 100% and picking are... your 35 pound three-year-old up, but actually it's for the zombie apocalypse. Exactly. Okay. Because there's going to be some people like the runners, they're the ones who are just going to run circles around. They're going to outrun the zombies. I am not built to outrun anybody's <laughs> zombie. I am built to pick up one of the zombies and throw it into the pile of the other zombies. And then I'm going to walk briskly up to the castle gates and I'm going to hold that thousand pound castle gate up by myself. Right That's on. my role in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're training for that athletic event. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, that's that's what I'm shooting for. Um, and it's I kind of see it like somebody who's restoring an old car. Mm. Like, you know, you're not going to restore a car quickly. It's going to take a couple years because you have to get the parts. You've got to tinker with the parts. You've got to rebuild the engine. But if you ask anybody who's restored an old car, they've loved the process. Mm. And it's not about getting the car just to work, but it's about knowing like after work, you can come home and just just five minutes, just a few minutes uh -huh. to tinker on that car. And yeah. that might change their whole day. It does. So that's how I see the process of strength training. That's why I like it. Cause it's like tinkering with this really cool old car that we're restoring. And just making it a little, just pre progressing it a little bit every day, every week yes. until you have a new car. Yeah. And I find that <clears throat> the mood benefits I get from strength training, like you said, it doesn't take much time. You know, I could maybe do a couple exercises in 10 minutes and, and leave that session feeling 100% better in terms of my emotional state, in terms of my energetic state than I did before I started. And that was pretty profound discovery for me as somebody who started um, really kind of as a devoted student of movement with yoga, which would also mm -hmm. leave me feeling re really different. But something that I think a lot of folks discover who start strength training is that although you feel different after strength training, the benefits to your mood, your overall personal energy are maybe just as great if not greater and um i find it's just a wonderful actual reset i don't think folks often think of strength training as a reset but i can feel like a total reset to my day after you know just doing a couple exercises it's pretty incredible gosh i can't i could sit here and talk to you forever if <laughs> I, I didn't have my other clients like right now part of me is almost kicking myself like man i've got a whole other hour worth of stuff to talk about but i also know like <laughs> Well, I, I could listen to you talk forever, Roz, because you just have a way with words and a way with stories. And uh, I know I've never been a student of yours, but I will be someday. Uh, I know you are an incredible world-class teacher, and I'm going to encourage everyone listening to this podcast to check out Roz's website, rozthediva.com, and uh, go find her and learn from her, whether it is you have some really cool sounding offerings on your site, but whether it's strength training or pole related or the other things that you're teaching, you are clearly um, doing 
phenomenal work in the movement world. And so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with us your story and your approach to teaching to teaching movement. Um, I have one more question for you, and then I'm sure. going to close this off. So, Roz, what are you really excited about right now? It can be anything related to anything. What are you really excited about right now? So right now, in 24 hours, I will be headed to Homdale, New Jersey, oh. um, because I'm going to see Alanis Morissette for the 25th anniversary Jagged Little Pill reunion concert. Not reunion, because oh. it's just her, but the, the 25th anniversary tour. This will be my third attempt trying to see this, because the first time... COVID hit, shut everything down. Second time, I couldn't make the makeup date because I was out running a hurricane because I was down south. And so now this is my third time, a lot of cash later. Um, I cannot describe to you, I will be scream, sing, crying, laughing, howling in the audience when You Ought to Know comes on and oh. I can hardly contain myself. I am super jelly because that was one of my very first CDs when I was uh, just coming of age. Alanis oh, Morissette, Jagged Little me Pill. Too. Well, enjoy that. That is going to be epic. And uh, yes, I, I got to find my way into a concert at some point. It's been way too long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one more, one more thing. Where can people learn from you, Roz? I know I mentioned your website. Is there anywhere else you'd like to send people to find you uh yeah please stalk me on instagram i'm roz r-o-z the diva on instagram um you can find me on tiktok on patreon everything is under roz the diva so come hang out any which way you want awesome thank you so much roz thank you all right. Well, I feel like this has been a really interesting conversation. A note to you listeners, you can check out our show notes for links to references that we mentioned in this podcast. You can also visit the Movement Logic website where you can get on our mailing list to be in the know about sales on our tutorials. And you can watch the video version of this episode if you want to see Roz and I uh, talking face to face on the good old Zoom. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Movement Logic podcast. Finally, it helps us out a lot. If you like this episode, please do subscribe, rate and review it in iTunes. We would be super appreciative of you if you did that. Join us again next week for more movement logic and more strong opinions loosely held. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is great.